you would, please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We are looking at the first six verses. Please follow in the reading of the Word of God. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Father, we come now to have you teach us the power of your spirit in your people. Strengthen us, Father, where we are weak. Father, convict us where we are wrong. Father, help us to stand. Strengthen us for the task at hand. But Father, most of all, can we hold firm that you are begging us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. In Christ's name, amen. I shared with you the, the word that we're looking at today. And the New American Standard is gentleness. But in some translations, it's meekness. Okay, it's still the same word in the Greek. Protos. All right. And, and I, when I go through this and I teach it, I'm going to be using gentleness and meekness all the time. They're the same word. I'm not teaching on two different things. Gentleness and meekness. Okay, because like I said, the New American Standard says it is gentleness. The New King James says it is meekness. So when we go through this, I started last week and I showed you the person of Jesus Christ. He was meek and lowly. Okay, and I showed you Jesus Christ never defended himself. This is his meekness. This is his gentleness. And yet that same meek and gentleness made a whip. If you'd have read on in what we were reading out of Matthew's gospel this morning, he went right into the temple. and What did he do? He made a mess. He turned the table of the money changers over and run everybody off with a whip. All right. And yet when they crucified him on a cross, that holy temple, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Okay. But when it came to his own defense, he never brought an accusation against them about any of his accusers. All right. But when it came to the father. He's ready to fight. He would defend God against those who would desecrate his name or his house. He would be angry. When you think of the word gentleness, meekness, you don't think of anger. But yet Jesus is spoken of with eyes of fire. That's angry. But he would not lift a finger against that which came against himself. All right. Now, listen, I know emphatically that is not of man. Man can't do that. If you think about it, 99.9% of the time you get mad, it is about you. 
Someone has done something wrong to you. Someone has cheated you. Someone has offended you. So fill in the blank. We get angry to defend self. And you know what? It is extremely easy to be tested this way. You don't have to go far. You don't have to do a lot where you can be tested on whether you're going to defend yourself or you're going to defend God. Someone says something critical against you. First thing that goes through your mind is, who do you think you are? Do you not mess with me? I am the apple of his eye. So I guess the thing is, is that we've got to keep looking at it. Remember, we're coming out of humility. But then ask yourself, what do we get angry about? Okay, think about it. I mean, you can watch politics for about four minutes and without any trouble at all can make you angry. But I don't... (laughs) I have resigned myself that whenever I'm watching politics, I have this big banner that nobody else can see. And it says, The Foolishness of Man... And if you don't believe me, listen. (laughs) So, you know, it's just, and I don't don't care what it is. I mean, I listen to what's going on, and you sit there and go, no wonder we needed a Savior. I mean, gee, many crickets. We got wheelbarrow full of stupid running around here. Okay? The thing is, what do we get angry about? What happens to us doesn't matter. Okay, doesn't matter. You know, I got that call on Thursday night that Todd had uh, stepped into eternity. And then it began. And I was on the phone till almost midnight dealing with the coroner, his sister. And, and I was just going on and on and on. And so then, I, I, then you go to bed at night and your brain says, you ain't sleeping. I'm thinking about things. And so you just lay there and think about things. And then began another day. But I rejoiced that it didn't make me mad. There is a thing in there that was a little annoying to me about a thankful heart. But other than that, I didn't have uh, any problem. Because this gentleness and meekness comes off a foundation of humility. And it produces prautas. This meekness. And I told you that last week a good definition or a good term to define this is power under control. And I gave you some texts out of last week out of Proverbs that said that the man who cannot control his own spirit is like a fortified city with no walls. Well, that just means it runs amok. But it says that a man can control his own spirit, he is blessed. Meekness Gentleness only roars when God is the issue. It, in the individual, it can't be offended. There's nothing to defend about myself. You know what people say about me or say about you? It's probably true. Or it may have been at one time. So why are you going to defend yourself? But 
If you look at Christ, he never defended himself. And you think about the thing, when he was hanging on that cross, and to hear some of the things that the bystanders were mocking him with, knowing that he had already told his disciples that he could call down 75,000 angels. And one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. And yet they were mocking him. I think about the poor soldier that was punching him when they threw that rag over his head so he couldn't see. And he was sucker punching him. Okay? You're punching God in the head. You're not the brightest bulb in the package, are you? But then who knows? Did he get saved? I don't know. The centurion on Golgotha did. Truly, this must be the Son of God, he said. Let me give you another illustration. Because you can always say, well, yeah, that's God. He knows he's coming back. He's going to come back on a white horse. And uh, he's going to speak. And everybody who's being so stupid is going to look even dumber. Okay. How about David? King David. In 2 Samuel 16, you don't have to turn to it. I'll just give you the information. David had a son. His son was Absalom. He was a looker. He was like his dad. He had a lot of his dad's attributes. Very long, wavy hair. All the girls were... Nur, 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 nur. Oh, hey, look at there, buddy. There's Absalom, buddy. All right. In 2 Samuel 16, Absalom comes up with a brilliant idea to overthrow the government and kill his father. King of the Jews, anointed by God, to the throne, Absalom decides he's going to kill the king, his father. You know what David did? He ran for his life. He ran back to his commonplace, the wilderness, the Negev. And Absalom pursued to try to overthrow the government. This is his son. David becomes the laughingstock of Israel. And even during that time, one of Saul's former men found David and cussed at him and cursed him. He mocked him. You, king of Israel? He even threw rocks at David for running from his son. David's nephew was standing there. Remember, this is the king. We're not waiting for Saul to die. He is the king of Israel. And his nephew looks at David and says, Give the order. I'll kill him. You know what David's response was? Let him alone. Let him alone. Now listen, I don't know about you, but that's power under control. That's power under control. There was no vengeance for self. There was nothing there for self. But let's be realistic. He would fight for God's causes. But he would not fight for himself. Okay? Now, he had the authority. He could do it. Think about it. Saul would have killed him. And he probably wouldn't have asked his nephew to do it. He'd have probably taken great joy in doing it himself. 
Proverbs, remember I shared? Fortified city with no walls. Its power out of control. Let me give you another one. Joseph, the youngest of the twelve. His brothers didn't like him because dad was playing favorites. So his brothers decided they'd get rid of Joseph. They couldn't take the heart to kill him, so they sold him to a slave traders. And you know the story. He ends up with Potiphar's house. That goes south on him. He gets back thrown in jail again, has to interpret a dream, and then what's he do? He ends up with Pharaoh. Okay? What is amazing about that is not long after that, he had established himself as quite the uh, administrator for the Egyptian kingdom. And there was a great famine in the land of Canaan where the Jews were living. So they come to Egypt to beg for help. And standing before them is their baby brother. Okay? And he plays them like a violin. They don't recognize him. There's been some years have gone by. They didn't recognize him. He takes care of them. And then they realize who it is. What do they do? Freak out. Uh-oh. But what did he say? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. That is power under control. You know what power out of control looks like. Because there's been times that each and every one of us have had power out of control. In 1 Samuel 14, we see this power out of control. Saul, he's going to kill his own son. And he's going to do it for a really good reason. You know why? He wanted to prove his power. And his son wasn't trying to overthrow his kingdom. His son wasn't trying to kill him. But he wanted to prove his power. In 1 Samuel 14. In 2 Samuel 18, verse 33, David says he would rather die for Absalom's sake. That is power under control. Remember, we come out of chapter 3 in Ephesians, and it says the first thing that you pray for is that you are strengthened where? In the inner man. Remember what Proverbs says, man who can control his spirit. Where is your spirit at? In the inner man. So you pray that you are strengthened in the inner man, that inner spirit, by the power of strength of the Holy Spirit. That's power under control. See, the spirit of the living God, that's what makes a man bow before God. And once you bow before God, you think nothing of yourself. Self doesn't matter anymore. Let me give you another illustration. Maybe one of the greatest of meekness, gentleness. Moses. Moses. Every time I think of Moses, I think of Charlton Heston. Right? Anybody else do that? I get to heaven, I'm going to say, 
Okay, which one of you two is not? <laughs> Let me give you a verse that is overlooked a lot. We're in the book in our morning readings. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. The man Moses was very meek. Okay? It goes on. Above all of the men who were on the face of the earth. That's what the Word of God says. Now, listen, if the Word of God says you are the meekest of all of the men who are on the face of the earth, that's pretty meek. And yet, he is called the meekest man who lived. And yet, when I think of Moses, I don't think of milk toast. I think of somebody who was fearless. It takes two million people on a camping trip in the desert. I think of a person who was bold. I think of a person who was a fighter. I think of a person who will not run from a confrontation. He is courageous. He definitely, he definitely was a man of convictions. Yet he was a leader. But if you go through his story... You see him angry many times. Remember when the Egyptian was beating the Jew? What was Moses' reaction? Killed him. But if you look in Exodus 5, it says that God, that Moses was refined by God. And when he was refined by God, he could walk right up to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Now, you know what that's like doing? That's like telling that little guy in North Korea, I don't like you, you're short. All right, that will not end well for you. He was not afraid to face Pharaoh. He was not afraid to command Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was considered deity. There was no fear in making a demand that God sent. That is a godly fearlessness. That is a godly boldness. Then in Exodus 32, it comes down the mount with the the tablets, and he finds Israel doing what? Idolatry. And in anger, Moses smashes the tablets that the Ten Commandments were written on. Okay? He was bold. In the sake of God, to the point of combat. He had outbursts throughout his Life of righteous anger. He was not a timid coward. He took the life of an Egyptian. He confronted Pharaoh. And he was fearless to confront the people of God about their sin. He exercised authority over a few million. Conservative numbers puts it around two million people. And God's great walk is what I call it. Forty years. He was strong. Yet, the scripture says, 
He was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Okay, now why can you, how do you pull that off? Okay, whether you take David, whether you take Joseph, whether you take Moses, there are many, many more. How do you pull that off? Listen, his strength, all of those men's strength, was always in reaction to God's honor. All right? They never defended themselves. Moses had absolutely no confidence in himself. He had some kind of speech problem. He said, I can't even talk right. That's what they say about me. I can't, I can't talk right. How do you expect me to go talk? So God gives him a, a rod. And God called him. And Moses' response was, Who am I that I should lead this people? Then in Exodus 4, God says, you can't, but I can. And in doing that, he gave Moses a rod called the rod of God, a staff. And Moses knew that he was absolutely nothing, but the rod was everything. It's got him into trouble. Talk about the rock to bring forth water. He was supposed to speak to the rock and water would come forth. What did he do? Hit it with the staff. Why? Because he believed that that was the power. Remember when they were in that great battle and he would hold the staff over his head and as long as he was holding his staff over his head, Israel was winning and any time he started to lower it, Israel started losing. So Joshua and another guy got on both sides and helped him hold the staff up because he knew that when he did something with that rod, then something was going to happen. He understood that he was nothing. Okay? History tells us, not history, but tradition. Tradition tells us that in the Ark of the Covenant, or it's the broken tablets, the Ten Commandments that God gave him, from Mount Sinai and the staff and the staff is actually growing leaves okay now I haven't seen the Ark of the Covenant nor has anybody else but everybody seems to know where it's at but nobody can seem to produce it that sounds familiar doesn't it but anyway it seems to be our society right now it's a constant reminder that staff was to Moses that Moses was nothing and that the rod was everything. Okay, so there's some Old Testament illustrations of power that is under control. But you know what? I can say the same thing about the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, I cannot trust the flesh. Now think about that for a second, because most of the time that you and I get into trouble is when we do what? Trust the flesh. I can do this. Okay, and then fill in the blank, whatever it is you think you're going to get ready to do. But if you go on there, Paul says, okay, in chapter 3, I cannot trust the flesh. But then in chapter 4, verse 13, we've all heard this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, Paul was like Moses. I can't, he can 
meekness, gentleness, never reacts for its own sake. Only the sake of God. Think about Paul. He never defended himself. When he was arrested, he never defended himself. He had no rebuke for what they did to him. He never retaliated. Only when God was dishonored, then it's Katie bar the door. So there's Moses, and there's Paul, of course, Joseph, David, many, 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 many more. But there is no one greater than Christ Jesus. And remember last week in Philippians? He did it as an example to us. His meekness, this gentleness, we must reflect. It should be seen in every child of God. Remember the foundation. The foundation is humility. But this attribute of power under control should be reflected in each and every child of God. So, the question, how do you know you are meek? Practically, how can I know that I am meek? You know, I know people who will see me preach, and I have been accused of being confident, boastful, prideful, because look at how you do that. Well, I tell you what. When a man walks up here and doesn't have confidence in what he's about to say, he should go sit down until he becomes confident about it. All right? How can I know that I'm meek? I have this gentleness coming out of my humility. Okay? I got a couple of things we'll close with. Actually, look, more than a couple. All right? One. Do you experience self-control? Okay. Is your anger, your power, your energy always under control? Proverbs 16.32 Do you rule your own spirit or does your spirit rule you? As my grandpa used to say, I'll kind of add to it. Are you a flying off the handle victim? Okay. And I know where he got that. We were, we had a well that you pumped. Okay. And I remember we were out pumping it. And of course your kids, you're, yeah, look at it. And you got to going with it. And all of a sudden it took off and the handle (laughs) flew off. And, uh, oy vey. Hit my brother in the jaw. (laughs) That's what they call flying off the handle. (laughs) Okay, second. Are you angry only when God is dishonored and no other time? And no other time. Listen, personally, I get very angry when people defame God's reputation. 
Uh, I remember at the Columbine shooting, I was out there that very day, and we were in the library waiting for the kids to come in and the teachers to be brought into the library, and their relatives were picking it up. The crowd kept getting smaller and smaller. So I was walking around just praying for people, giving them coffee, doing just trying to calm them down. And the question that was always, always asked of me, why did God allow this to happen? It was extremely difficult for me that day not to lose my temper. This ain't the work of God. Please. Those who despise his name, that makes me angry. Listen, when I'm dealing with sin, I understand it. We're all earthen vessels. I don't get angry when people are in sin. I get angry when they say their sin was caused by God. That ticked me off. But sin is something that every one of us deal with every second of our lives. If you don't believe me, go shut your finger in the door and see what the response is. Glory, hallelujah, blessed be the Lord. No, it ain't. You may use God's name, but it won't be the same way. So with sin, we should be very understanding with sin. He who says he's without sin calls God a liar. But when it's the perversion of the word... When it's false doctrine, when it's false teachers, those who claim and do not do, those are different. Because you are dishonoring the Lord. See, sin, when it's a sinful situation, we exhort, and when we exhort, we do it in meekness and gentleness. Okay, But when God is dishonored, then the lion roars. Okay? Third thing. Do you respond to the word of God humbly? Okay? Before you answer, no matter what it says, Do I respond to the word of God humbly, no matter what it says? In James chapter 1, verse 21, you are to receive the engrafted word with meekness. Do we respond to the word of God meekly, gently? That's what it says. Because if you do that, guess what? You'll submit to it. No matter what it says. That is self-control. Alright? So, you know, you got self-control. You get only angry when God is dishonored. You respond to the word of God humbly. And then fourthly, do you always make peace? 
okay? The meek and gentle people, they do. Why? It is the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Peace. That's what gentleness does. That's what gentleness does when a person falls. When a person falls into sin, then in gentleness, I'm trying to make peace. I'm trying to restore your relation with God because it's broken because of sin. So when someone falls, do you condemn them? Do you gossip? Or do you spiritually say, I need to put them on the prayer chain? What a fearful place. I have seen those in the past. And it's just a way to spiritually malign somebody. Or a situation. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Remember what it says? Restore such a one with gentleness and meekness. See, that is what the peacemaker is. I'm trying to restore it. I'm not here to condemn you. I am not the Holy Spirit. I'm here to exhort you. You know what the word exhort means? It means to step up belongside somebody and it literally means to take them up under the arm and walk right beside them and warn them that if you go that way we're going to end up in a ditch and I'm not going to go so you walk right along with them and encourage them and strengthen them so they can avoid the disaster themselves do you realize how hard that is do you realize how time consuming that is because there's once in a while you'll find yourself, you got one on each arm. And one's wanting this ditch, and the other one's wanting that ditch. But it says, bear one another's burden. He who has fallen into sin, bear the burden. It literally means get up under a donkey that can't bear the weight of the load it's carrying. So we are to restore such a one with gentleness and meekness. See, a peacemaker... Don't make fights. A peacemaker's a person who is humble and gentle wants to end conflict. They don't want to start arguments. They want to end arguments. Okay, so that's four. Five. This in here is very easy. Okay. This, this is simple. Do you receive criticism without retaliating, whether it is right or wrong? Okay? That's very practical if you think about it. Do you receive criticism without retaliating, even if the criticism is wrong? Because sometimes you get criticized and you go, you're right. That's easier. Sometimes you get criticized and you just want to give them a noogie on the top of the head. You don't know what you're talking about. I run into that occasionally when people tell me what the Holy Spirit told them to tell me. And you're just sort of like, what? 
You know what my response is? If I'm being criticized, my response is basically the same. Thank you very much. Please pray for me. Okay? Because I know they're not going to bear that burden. So just pray for me. And sixthly, do you have the right attitude toward the unsaved? We are told we are to give an answer to every man that asks us the reason of the hope within us with meekness and fear. Peter tells us that. I have seen way too many Christians that are smug, that are lofty to sinners. It's almost like uh, yuck. That's a sinner. What do they know? I've seen too many Christians who look down on sinners. I've seen too many Christians that are proud and defensive. And that is not meekness. Maybe these questions will help you. Okay. Self-control. Do I have self-control? I get only angry when God is dishonored. I respond to the word of God in humility no matter what it tells me. Always wanting to make peace. Receiving criticism without retaliation, whether it's just criticism or unjust criticism. And I have the right attitude toward the unsaved. I have a quote here. Quote, to be meek means you have finished with yourself altogether. Unquote, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Listen, to be meek, you know that no one can harm you. They can't hurt your feelings. How can they hurt your feelings? Because we're not important anymore. I'm not important. It's about him. It ain't about me. You know what? (laughs) The worst they can say of us is probably true. Or was at one time. That is how our Savior was. I remember a couple that I discipled for a number of number of years. They are back east now. And they've got kids that are grown. And uh, these were very highly educated people. Okay, uh, master's degrees and stuff like that. They worked in education. They do. It's just great people. But because of the, their education and everything, I remember sitting at dinner one night, and the daughter was there with us. <laughs> and uh, her father was speaking. Her daughter had all of a sudden got this look on her face, and she looked at him. And she says, Are you ever going to lay your pride down? And I was like, whoa, (laughs) here we go. 
You know what his response was? Thank you, you're right. Every time I think I've laid it down, I somehow manage to pick it back up again. I thought, that takes a lot right there. I don't care who you are. Cool. And then he tried to blame me. You know, she listens to you on iTunes. I was like, don't blame me, dude. That is how our Savior was. Those questions I just gave you. The one who made the world. The one who threw the stars and the galaxies into space. The one who names every star. He weighed the mountains. That one. He measured the water. That one. And the inhabitants of the world are as grasshoppers to him. That one. And he says, I am meek and lowly. Guess what? We can do no less. I close with 1 Peter again. Chapter 3, verse 4. We are to be adorned with the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great value. Humility leads to meekness. Meekness leads to patience. I hope that the Lord will let us know these things and that they will strengthen every one of our lives. Brothers and sisters, This is not theory. This is life. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Give you thanks. Thanks for your spirit that you have given us because of your great salvation. Now, Father, I pray that we who are prisoners of the Lord would walk in a manner worthy of this calling. Strengthened in the inner man. Knowing Christ is dwelling us comfortably. Knowing the love that surpasses knowledge. So that we may exist in the fullness of God. And what you do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could think or imagine. Father may our love for you grow with every breath. As we move into the passion week. I pray, Lord, I pray that you are first and foremost on our minds, our thoughts, and our actions, and that in all humility and gentleness, we go forth to the glory of the King. In Christ's name, amen.